And here we are back again, Rogue Table Talks, number 77. Numero 77. Double, what is seven? Cinco, what is it? <laughs> siete. Siete, siete. Double siete. Um, I would have been better if I knew that before I so, started. The so seven. in like 700 more weeks, it'll be 777. Mm. Mm. <laughs> what will we do if we get to, when we get to 666? We'll have to skip over that one. Yeah, it'll go 665, 667. Right. And we, won't talk, we won't talk about it. Just, just like all Christian podcasts <laughs> would do. Correct. <laughs> um, all right. We are... Um, we're on the verge of Halloween mm-hmm. here in late October. And we're going to talk about an encounter where Jesus um, encounters a man possessed by a demon. And uh, uh, I don't think there was a, an intentional uh, plan for this passage, thinking it's Halloween, but, you know, here we are. And um, so what do we do with Halloween as Christians? I mean, I think I, I didn't grow up in the church as I've said before. And so, I mean, you know, like most kids, when I was a little kid, we did Halloween. I didn't really think too much about it. Um, it's kind of gotten a little crazy, crazier. Um, and then, you know, I would say 10, 15, 20 years ago, I think Christians were a little, I mean, just speaking broadly, maybe it's slightly unhinged on the topic mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, we used to have a fall festival here at the church. We would invite the community in and we'd have booths and so on. And, you know, we did it as sort of a Halloween alternative slash supplement or whatever. Um, and we had people like we, I remember we carved jack-o'-lanterns to put along. There was a uh, a hayride that was part of it that went around the property and there's a little, you know, there was a little strip of woods and a trail. And, um, we had our, our children's pastor at the time was just thought we shouldn't have jack-o'-lanterns because they're like, I don't know, devil pumpkins or something. I don't know exactly. Can, can we just pause for a second and say that that hayride had to go through the woods and guess who had to clean out those woods so that the hayride could go on the woods? I didn't mean to touch a nerve. <laughs> you did. You bring you back did. a memory, a bad memory. Hey, this is uh, your guys' job for today and tomorrow. Clean out these <laughs> woods and sticks and branches. So who gave you that order? Was that Dan Clancy? It or was, was the that... Clanster. Yep. Oh, of course. Like, hey, you're going to do this. Okay. I had no idea. I was a, I think there was a lot of those things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was sort of a um, fear. And I think, I think, you know, people didn't celebrate, didn't give candy out, didn't want to celebrate, you know, the devil's holiday as it was sometimes referred to. And I think to some degree to the detriment of interacting with their neighbors who didn't obviously see it that way at all. Um, right. And and then, but now I feel like we've maybe swung possibly too far in the other direction where it's like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the attitudes are <clears throat> in the church about Halloween now, but I don't think there's much concern in any direction. What's it like there? I mean, do you, do you have a sense of that? 
Um, not yet uh, within the church, but I don't think I, I, it's probably similar um, to there. But uh, but outside, there's a. It was interesting when growing up in West Texas, uh, people didn't really decorate their houses with Halloween stuff outside. And nobody did where I came from. I mean, I, I think that's just. I don't know if that's geography or I just don't think most people did that that long ago. Yeah. So there, so in, when I was in Missouri that I started seeing that and here too, it's like, like Christmas decorations all over the yard with lights, but it's not Christmas. Yeah. It's werewolves and <laughs> spiders right. and bloody zombies. Right. And, right. Um, so I think there's, there's that like most people outside the church, there's, you know, there's not, I don't know if celebration is the right word. Um, maybe secularization of the holiday uh, yeah. would would, right. would lead it yeah. towards both yeah. parties, non-Christian and Christian, kind of just right. participating in it without any kind of intentional understanding of any deeper meaning or tied to a ceremony or tied to a ritual or a calendar or anything like that, other than it's right. October. So I don't know. I think right. that conversation maybe with in general what have we done to holidays like we're influenced by the secularization of it i'm not saying secularization in itself is this evil thing i'm just saying like let's go buy a bunch of valentines easter's about candy and and eggs and so i i wonder if that's at play with what we do with halloween sure yeah i think that's right i mean that, that whatever meaning was originally behind it almost seems irrelevant now mm -hmm. um but it does seem some people are, I mean, you, you know, I find some of the decorations just sort of fun and whatever, uh, Casper the ghosty. Yeah. Um, and then there's, you know, some people, you know, there's like tombstones in their front yard. It's like, okay, well, you know, that seems a little less, I don't know if I was a little kid, I might sort of freak me out. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's like a six foot werewolf in one of our neighbors and yeah 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 and so that kind of takes me then to um the popular fascination so while ha halloween has become more secularized there's a lot of there has been a lot there's not a lot of movies being made at the moment but it seems like there's a lot of movies that have to do with the occult with, you know, the conjuring where you're conjuring up these spirits. I didn't see the movie. Um, right. I assume there's a conjuring involved in the movie called The Conjuring. But, um, and I, I think there's a sort of similar, and I, you know, I don't know what your attitude towards those movies are in general. Um, I kind of have, they're not my favorite in general. Um, so it's not like I'm tempted to watch them, but don't, um, I'm not as interested in them, but there's a sense in which I, there's a part of me that says, well, there's something there that's real. Like mm -hmm. I, it's not a totally pretend thing that there's a reality to the spiritual world that is serious. And I think that we should take it seriously doesn't mean we shouldn't, I don't, I don't think it means we shouldn't have jack-o'-lanterns or necessarily give candy out to neighborhood kids um, on Halloween, but, you know, watching movies that are 
you know, that have a demonic flavor to them, uh, again, I don't have a, a hard rule against it, but in many cases it seems exploitative or it seems, um, it seems to treat it as, um, as something that isn't real. And yet I, I find because it, I think there is reality there. I find those movies less appealing completely. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know which, what is your thoughts on that whole? Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not like a, I love horror movies. Um, I'm not necessarily like probably like you against them as a genre, uh, like they're evil. You shouldn't watch them. Um, I think they're interesting. Some, some of them, the, I guess the more ones that interest me are around more of like, um, good versus evil, demonic possession. Um, we talked about the exorcism of Emily Rose, which is loosely based on a true story in Germany. Mm -hmm. Um, the exorcist was also loosely based on mm -hmm. right. someone from St. Louis or came to St. Louis from uh, the Northeast. And so. I'm interested in those. They also really terrify me because like you said, there's something real here. And as we see from the scriptures, demonic possession and uh, spiritual warfare is a reality mm -hmm. and people um, opening themselves up or, or uh, you know, however you want to say it, becoming demon possessed or um, as Neil Anderson says, who's kind of a guru on spiritual warfare, uh, being demonized, like tortured or whatever, terrorized. Those are, those, those, those do really freak me out. Um, another point I think that's important to think about when we're uh, in, in the, that realm is some directors and some producers um, probably have some uh, affiliation with the occult mm -hmm. and are intentionally uh, glorifying evil. And mm -hmm. um, you right. know, I, watched, I watched a little bit of an interview with Rob Zombie who made a thousand a house of a thousand corpses and he scares me i mean i was like um yeah if i passed him on the street i'd get nervous <laughs> just kind mm -hmm. of like yeah. <laughs> not that he's an evil person i just think some people produce these things there is a real tie to something um yeah behind them yeah i mean, you mentioned uh the exorcism of emily rose which i think is a movie that is a movie i saw it is a good movie precisely because it treats whatever you think of it treats it as a reality that there's a spiritual reality. Part of that spiritual reality is evil. There are, you know, uh, the, the demons are angels who fell and who rebelled. Uh, and so that is, that is a, you know, it's a real part of Christian belief. Uh, and I think in secular America, we tend to forget, I think we tend to forget the reality of spiritual, the spiritual realm often. Mm -hmm. uh, and need to be reminded. And that's, you know, maybe why spiritual rhythms and so on are, are so important to sort of remind us of the spiritual, remind us of the real, but part of that spiritual world is a dark uh, world as well. Um, and I don't, I think it's probably helpful for us to think about, you know, how do we, how, how do we think about it? We should think about it in some way. Um, and uh, I guess towards that end, let's, um, Let's read the passage from Luke 4, starting in verse 31, uh, early in, in Jesus' ministry. And he has this encounter with this, this man. Uh, then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee. And on the Sabbath, he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. 
In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What words these are? With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Um, so I think first, there's, it's sort of a kind of another day in the life. <laughs> uh, goes to the, the synagogue, yeah. teaches on the Sabbath. They're amazed at his teaching. And then, oh, by the way, there's a man there possessed by a demon. Um, there's probably a lot we could say about that. Um, it, you know, cause it, these encounters are not super rare in the gospels. I mean, there's a number of them where Jesus encounters people possessed by demons and cast them out. Uh, and I think people who have been to Haiti or other parts of the world, would tell us that there's much more of a sense of evil, evil spirits and so on, demon, demonic. Uh, and we, in secularized America, we tend not to see that. Uh, and that's probably a topic, you know, a, a potential topic of conversation. Uh, but here it's not, um, everyone knows what's going on. Uh, and then Jesus, he teaches with authority and he speaks to this, this this demon with authority um and so there it really is sort of a power it's a truth encounter and a power encounter um and one of the things i i find interesting is the demon speaks first mm -hmm. go away what do you want with us jesus of nazareth have you come to destroy us i know who you are the holy one of god um which He's telling the truth, you know. Uh, the demon knows what's going on. He knows where he, who he's with. He knows the reality of the, the situation, um, and it's, um, and I, that's not uncommon either. Where the demons would speak and sort of name who Jesus was. Uh, I'm not sure if they felt. It doesn't say. Did he feel compelled to do that? Or did he know Jesus wasn't really um, telling everyone exactly who he was and they were trying to get the cat out of the bag? I'm not, not really sure. Um, so I don't know what's your thoughts on that, the pattern, how that happens. There's, there's a similar pattern to these encounters. What do you make of them? I don't, I don't know. Um, the pattern where they, they kind of identified Jesus in the first and they usually speak first. <laughs> yeah. And then they tell them, you know, you're God's son. You're, you know, like one day you're going to destroy us. But we didn't, you know, we thought we had more time than this or something. It was sort of like that sense of we know we're weaker than you. We know who you are. You'll destroy us someday. Mm -hmm. But not, you know. What's uh, yeah? Two things that are fascinating to me is one: this is in a synagogue, 
Mm-hmm. I don't want to make too much of that, but it is interesting that that <laughs> demon possessed man, the demon possessed man, right to the synagogue is in the yeah. church. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's fascinating. I'd like to do more studies on the exorcisms in the Gospels, but uh, the other thing is that the intelligence level um, of the demonic uh, is a little unnerving. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they seem to even know, or or the demon or demons seem to even know more and be more aware of the purpose and who Christ really was in his identity more than probably anyone standing there. Yep. Like we know you're going to destroy, we we know you have ultimate authority to say and do anything. I don't think anyone else recognized that. Right. Right. Yes. That's, that's the unmistakable thing. And I, you know, we talk about this big story um, you know, it's kind of my motif, this big s- story of spiritual reality, uh, you know, this maybe spiritual dimension to the story we're in that one day we will, you know, we are part of this big story and our story here will end, but we'll, um, and it's, I, I think what you see is that the, the demons have a very clear understanding of the story they're in. Like, yep. I know who I am. I know who you are. I know this, how this is going to end. Um, and it's interesting in, in that we are often, everyone else there, as you said, it was other than uh, he and Jesus were sort of blind to that spiritual reality. Uh, and, and so it to me suggests a number of things, like what spiritual realities am I blind to? Um, you know, what? how do I awaken to those um spiritual realities. Um, and also what does it mean for me? What is spiritual power, spiritual authority? What does that mean to me? What should it mean to me? Uh, in growing in Christ likeness, what does that, what does that, or should that look like? What doesn't it look like? And in a way we're back to the danger of Jesus being the example in all things. Like the demon would not say that to me. <laughs> yeah, the demon would not say that to me or you, even though, uh, again, unnerving. He probably knows uh, the de- demonic knows a lot of, but they knew about Jesus. They know a lot about us. Yeah, yeah. The spiritual reality of us would be known to them, whatever that mm-hmm. is. Yeah, uh, and they're not. Um, it, it talk it, it, reading about. Uh, and talking to other people who've had encounters, then, you know, the, the demons typically don't always tell the truth uh, in those encounters. They typically do with Jesus, though, because I think they feel like, you know, I'm in the, you know, this is not somebody I'm going to lie to. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a there's a, uh, a respect slash fear uh, there. Um, so that's what I, I do think it's an interesting you know, what do we make, what do we make of this in terms of, it's an understanding of the story we're in, it's this understanding of spiritual reality. What do I take from it as an application is that's, I think partly, you know, what do I do with that? What should I do with that? Uh, Cause I think there's two opposite errors an unhealthy obsession, seeing demons behind every bad thing. Right. Because, you know, I got a flat tire because a demon shot a spiritual arrow through it or something. Um, and then 
On the other hand, not thinking about the spiritual realm at all, not even thinking about spiritual opposition or, uh, or evil. Um, and what does the middle look like or what should it look like? And it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to be casting demons out of people right and left. Um, uh, or maybe ever or probably ever. Um, but it means something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, what does that mean to us is an interesting, um, you know, we see other passages where, you know, the, the, the devil is, you know, referred to first Peter five, eight, be alert and of sober mind that your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, resist him standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And, you know, what does it mean that we have an enemy, the devil, that he's prowling, looking for someone? What does it mean to resist him? And I don't know in that passage, it seems like Paul is saying resist him, comma, stand firm in the faith as if those are similar or standing firm in the faith and resisting him are go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't, you know, it's an interesting I think thing for me to think about because I don't think I think about it very much, if at all, uh, basically. And I think I probably need to, but I'm not quite sure where the balance is. Hmm. Uh, yeah. What about you? Yeah. I, to me, it's difficult. The challenge is, again, not to fall off the edge on either side where everything is blamed on the devil um mm-hmm. even down to i think maybe in one realm that evangelicals still tend to do this is maybe around um the harder emotions or the darker emotions like if we feel sad or de- depressed right and and that's the one where i don't know i don't want to say that there's nothing demonic to it but i also don't want to say well because it's an uncomfortable thing therefore it's the devil and jesus doesn't want you to feel that way or you know you wouldn't be feeling that way if you were a a spiritual christian type thing so you know i think that's one realm where we have to be really thoughtful in how we um have the conversation i think uh one thing that's helpful too is often we think well, I got in a, you know, argument or this thing isn't going the way I think it should go. Um, it's a spiritual roadblock, you know, type thing where maybe our interpretation, we're, we're classifying it as spiritual warfare. And I wonder sometimes if the real framework would be more of a depth of intimacy and dependence on God and a push to prayer as opposed to that's from the devil. We need to just kind of we got to overcome that thing as opposed to maybe God's inviting me into deeper places in my marriage or with my coworkers or something like that. Maybe we need to enter into this conflict. Well, you know what I mean? I think sometimes we can classify something uncomfortable or unpleasant. Like that's something that Jesus has to overcome um, as opposed to unanxiously, maybe being really curious and investigate. Uh, investigative Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) about it okay well i don't know if this is spiritual warfare what's god doing in this what is he inviting me to how would i respond well if it was spiritual warfare like how do i how what if there's a devil in this quote-unquote devil in this thing how do i resist him what Mm -hmm. does that mean yeah 
Yeah, I tend to think, you know, I, I've I've heard we both heard different, you know, the devil being blamed for different things. That you know, and I've heard uh, people being criticized uh, say to the criticizers, "Well, that's just you know." say about the criticizers it's just it's just the opposition of the devil oh yes absolutely um when well they could actually be saying true things in critical things that could be true right um but i don't think it's always binary like it's all one or all the other for instance i think you could have a time of depression a time where there's loss or grief or whatever and in that time that you know, there might be a spiritual attack mm-hmm. uh, that uses this as an opportunity so that it didn't cause it, but it might, mm-hmm. uh, it might piggyback on. Um, facing the criticism of people might actually be something that the devil might, you know, the demonic might jump in and say, yeah, you know, they're evil, you know, so I think it's not, I think on one hand, it can be a little more, like we don't want to blame everything on it. On the other hand, there could be an aspect of many things that if we're not careful, we can um, uh, we can actually f- uh, fall victim to the, the devil's schemes, as the, as the scriptures say. And I think mostly for us, it means believing things that aren't true. Uh, or believing too easily things that aren't true, things about God, things about myself, you know, things about other people. Uh, where again, I think that's the resist the devil, stand firm in your faith. Going together are don't forget what's true, don't forget what story you're in, and you know Peter wrote that to to Christians who are being persecuted, and so you know resisting the devil, stand firm in your faith might mean resisting the voice that says god doesn't love you this is why this is happening or this is happening because you've done bad things or whatever um so i i feel like there's there's maybe a value in recognizing the reality of it without trying to always 100 percent name it or Mm -hmm. parse out which is hardship which is persecution and which is demonic attack yeah, that's where I think that's a helpful summary of, I, I don't know if trying to find the causation of something is helpful. Like, where did this come from? And why is this happening are natural questions, but they usually start us down a path that's just going to uh, end up frustrating because we're, we're humans and usually we don't get those answers. But how do I respond? What is God doing in this place? Like, what would lead me to more spiritual health and maturity? How do I love this person in this? Those to me are helpful questions um, in the midst of what could be spiritual warfare. Um, you know, so yeah, whether you're depressed or things are successful, it Satan can jump in there and there can be a spiritual attack. Yeah. Which that sort of dovetails into something else I kind of wanted to that sort of popped out to me, this theme of in what way is Jesus an example for us in this uh, or what, in, you know, what do we take from this? And one of the things is okay, Jesus uh, demonstrates spiritual power. 
authority. Um, and I think, okay, what does that mean? What does that, what should that look like for me? What does it look like for me? I do think again, we're sort of in our culture in which we, we will by default equate spiritual growth with learning more things, learning more of the Bible, understanding more theology, understanding more stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but I should be, be, I should be becoming more powerful in some way spiritually. Mm. Um, and I think it's an interesting, I think maybe I like, what does that mean for me? Because it probably means things that you just said, like the power to forgive this person, the power to remain faithful, uh, the power to bear up under, you know, that's what is, what when people look at me, what does spiritual transformation look like that goes beyond um, knowing things? And, you know, there there's this, the evidence of the spirit uh, in me. And there's also this sense of, I'm becoming more spiritual and that's having some sort of impact on people and people might notice that in some way. Um, I don't think, I mean, I don't exactly know what I'm trying to say, but you know, the, the response of the people that's part of this pattern always is people are amazed and say, this is new, this is different. You know, he has authority, he has power. Um, we don't see this usually. Um, and I just wonder what should that look like for us as we grow spiritually? I don't know that I have the answer to that. It's just sort of a question I'm playing with. Does that, is that, does anything like that make sense? Yeah, no, I really like that question. Uh, what, what is spiritual power and should we be growing more spiritually powerful? And then what would that mean? And I tend to think, yeah, Jesus is an example here. We're not going to be perfect like him, and we're not going to be asked to do everything he did. I'm not going to a cross uh, for the forgiveness of others, uh, but, and, and I'm probably not turning over tables. That's another conversation, though. Right. Um, but power to resist temptation, power to joyfully self-sacrifice, power to turn the other cheek, like those, it, and it, it's not a power as we tend to think of power where I'm spiritually above you or, or I'm very, very wise and I'm the sage and you come to me and I have all the answers and therefore I'm spiritually powerful. It's spiritual power to wash feet, spiritual power to serve and to spirit and to not have my ego involved, spiritual power to check my ego. And it's not about me and whether I'm, preaching on a stage or I'm behind the scenes and no one notices, um, mm -hmm. you know, whatever that, whatever kind of vocation we're in that spiritual power, uh, growing more powerful, but using it to accomplish God's purposes and mission, I think is. Yeah. Right. A presence, a prayerfulness, a faith, uh, a peace, um, you know, it, it makes me think of, in it's in second timothy three where paul is talking about the last days and one of the things he says you know he's talking about people who ha have a form of godliness but deny its power avoid right. these people right uh and i think 
I guess one way of saying or talking about is we can confuse. It's easy to, it's very easy to confuse spiritual growth and spiritual transformation with having this forms of godliness, which in one of them is going to have power and one of them is not. Mm. And, you know, if we're relying on forms of godliness, which probably means, I mean, many things, uh, outward spiritual practices, um, but also, I don't know, the kind of trite right things to say, like the, the, the things people say that have a form of godliness, but that don't really have any spiritual power. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, you know, you know, God won't give you more than you can handle or, um, you know, there's a purpose, but whatever people say that they've learned this thing to say, but it doesn't have any spiritual heft behind it. There's no depth to it. Right. It's a a pat answer that we could apply to every situation and it's, um, it lacks depth. Yes. Yeah, and so I think it's even a, you know, like what does it mean to be a spiritually powerful parent, to be a spiritually powerful friend, be a spiritually power, you know, powerful spouse, in a sort of everyday way. That's not a power encounter, um, but it should mean something, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not like I just think the. the it's even it's a hard thing to talk about because we then think of, okay, well, we need to make a ten step plan toward more spiritual power, or <laughs> you know, here's your thirty day readings towards where obviously the whole source of the power is not us; it's outside us. So there's a and there's a power independence going together, um, you know a a death that leads to this life of power. Um, and I, I think, so that's why I don't, I don't know that we even feel comfortable talking about it. And yet we're, I think we need to live spiritually powerful lives in a world surrounded by people who don't necessarily believe spirituality is real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 I think too, it may be helpful, uh, on our own, uh, or on, on your the listener's own, to maybe do some text work in the New Testament with the question of what, what are, if, if Satan does have intentions and he uses spiritual attack with certain intentions, what are his intentions? Uh, what does he hope a desired outcome is? And then that may help us better identify what spiritual warfare looks like. For instance, first Corinthians says he's, blinded the minds and eyes of unbelievers. So one of his goals is to keep people veiled from understanding and knowing the gospel. So we can pray against that. We can teach the gospel clearly. We have clear gospel calls, but pray against that. But other things are like disunity, Mm -hmm. you know, strife and envy, Mm -hmm. uh, those things that you see Satan wanting to stir up. So that may be, that's another, not necessarily another podcast, but it's something else to consider what are the intention? And then you can have the conversation about spiritual power combating that. Yeah, because it, it strikes me that all of those things seem like sort of ordinary things, like the tools of the devil, 
right. are things that I do sometimes, like mm -hmm. gossip or, you know, whatever, saying something I shouldn't say or thinking the worst of someone instead of, like, those are all ordinary sort of things. And that's why I think it's not, I don't mean to say that's whenever I do that, I have to, I get to blame the devil, <laughs> but some of the time I might be influenced in that direction mm -hmm. or one, one or two or three steps in that direction invites more influence and it becomes a spiral or, or whatever. Um, and I think that's the, that goes back to, um, you know, what is, what's the difference between form of godliness and the power, uh, of that comes from true spiritual presence you know, if we're in relationship with the God of the universe and being transformed into his likeness, there will be some sort of authority and power that we can address our lives. Yeah. So sorry, just had a visitor interrupt. Yeah. Must be spiritual warfare. No. <laughs> Was it the devil? The devil used you. <laughs> mm. Mm -mm -mm. you. You know what though? That, that okay, not to extend our time, but at the language of the devil is a lot lying, right? Lying, right. Um, accusations. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, especially the, the language of accusation, self-accusation, accusing others, like, oh, the devil, even in our minds, like, well, the devil's using them. <laughs> I just think we have to be really careful because I've, I've heard those conversations like, yeah, well, they're a, they're part of the devil's plan mm -hmm. in my life. Mm -hmm. Tool of the devil. The tool of exactly. the devil. Yeah. Right. They may yeah. be thinking the same thing about me. <laughs> right. So Yeah, and I think that it's just so easy. Um and I do think that's uh you know, I think one of the tools of the devil is, you know, it's it's all around deception. I mean, that's his his main thing, but his deception toward um, you know, believing something false about God or myself, even when he's, you know, the accuser, even when the accusation is true, the implication is, um, you know, God doesn't love me because of it or so, or so on, or I can't really be a person of faith, blah, blah, blah. Um, but part of, I think, you know, part of the falsehood that, that, you know, is his, in his arsenal is taking the easy way out. Um, and, you know, that's what he invites Jesus to do a couple of wow. times. Just take the easy way out, turn these stones into bread, you know, jump off the, um, the you know, the temple, um, bow down and worship me, and I'll give you these things. It's kind of taking the easy way out. And I do think that is a tendency for, you know, one of the, ironically, you know, saying they're a tool of the devil is taking the easy way out. Yeah. Um, uh, or it's the devil's causing all of this. It's taking the easy way out. It's a way to avoid personal responsibility. Like those people are being mean to me because the devil is influencing them instead of possibly I did something mm -hmm. that, you know, is a partial cause to their angry or hurt response. Um, and there, you know, there could be some level of truth in both of that. So, um, so I think that's a, and so that's, again, all of that is fake. I mean, the fakeness of it. And so that's our, you know, I think the whole theme of this passage or my, you know, thinking about the passage, our discussion about the passage is how do we get to the real? Mm -hmm. How do we cut through the fake and get to the real? Um, and it's like going back to this passage, Jesus and the and the and the demon were the only ones who really understood 
what was going on here. Um, and I think more and more that we are people that are spiritually attuned, spiritually powerful, spiritually transformed, um, not just having a form of godliness when, while denying its power, but having a power that comes with it. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think, I don't know where to leave this. I don't want to freak anybody out. Uh, but I also don't want to say, well, you never really have to think about that either. The question is, for me, do I know what story I'm in? Um, am I acting accordingly? Am I getting knocked off course, whether it's the devil or me or whoever? Uh, and what is spiritual power look like and how, how should I be growing in it? Those are the questions that I sort of have yeah. as I think this passage. Um, so yeah. maybe we should leave it there. That sounds good. Good. Yeah. Um, we have we have only questions uh, to leave you with. <laughs> Hopefully, those will prove fruitful um, as we uh, seek to grow more in His likeness uh, and, in some sense, uh, become uh, more powerful in His power and His authority. Uh, and with that, grace and peace. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.